0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we continue our series, The Best is Ahead, with a message titled, The Abomination of Desolation. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 21, as we join Dr. Neufeld now.
1: There are moments in human history when after we've passed through them, Well, we come to realize that this moment will become a defining point in the world. Obviously, the horrors of the Second World War and the Holocaust against the Jewish people was a moment in the last century that should not and must not be forgotten. So the Second World War is a reminder that the secular myth that evil is no more than a social construct and the the product of improper child raising, well, that's simply wrong. Evil is not a social construct, nor is it a matter of perspective and a failure to acknowledge evil, and a fight against evil, that's evil in and of itself. For everyone who says, look, there's no such thing as absolute truth, there's just your truth versus my truth, the very ones that argue that need to come to terms with a holocaust. Will you really gaze at such carnage and say, how you interpret it is only a matter of your truth versus my truth? and if that's what's said, then all those men and women died for nothing. And the point I'm making is that there are times when events in history help bring clarity. And if the lessons brought by that clarity are forgotten, when well, we become horribly impoverished and we're also destined to descend into the same evil again. There was a time period from 8066 to 73, a time we'll call the Jewish War, that must also not be forgotten. But before we get into that, let's refresh ourselves in our study. During this New Year season, I've decided to study Matthew 24, a chapter in our Bible that's often called the Olivet Discourse. At the end of Tuesday of Passion Week, that is the week that Jesus was crucified, remember he's crucified on Friday, but on that Tuesday, as the day was coming to an end, he sat on the Mount of Olives, directly opposite the temple in Jerusalem. He told his disciples that the massive stones that made up the temple would soon be thrown down, not one would be left on another. In astonishment, his disciples asked him, What would be the sign of his coming and of the end of the age? You see, in their minds, they couldn't imagine if such an astonishing thing were to happen that this would not mark the end of the age and the judgment of God. When will this be, they ask? You know, I have said that the study of this question is a fitting question as we approach the end of the year and the beginning of the next. Since none of us knows what the next year holds, people do approach a new year in different ways. The ever-optimist thinks everything's just going to be fine, and yet others wonder if danger and evil do lie before us. And for those who know Christ as Savior and Lord, the question of hope, the hope of our Lord's second coming, ought always to be a matter of consideration when approaching the future. And so Jesus began to answer his disciples' question. He begins by saying they ought not to be upset if wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and open hostility to fellow believers lies in their future. These, he said, are but the beginning of birth pains. The end is still to come. Don't overreact. And now, having laid down that basic premise, that great upheaval in the world does not necessarily signal the end of the age, Jesus goes beyond that to speak of something quite specific. So I'm reading Matthew 24:15 to 21. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And last for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not being from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. Now I need to admit at the very outset that there has been a good bit of disagreement among Christians as to what Jesus actually meant right here. But let's leave that disagreement for later and concentrate on what we actually know. In a sense, Matthew 24 verse 14 serves as a kind of bridge between the previous passage and this one. Verse 14, Jesus had said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so while he said that great upheaval is not a sign of the end of the age, he did say that when the gospel had been preached to all nations or literally to all cultural or ethnic groups, it's then that the end would come. Now, having spoken of the ongoing upheaval in the world, leading to the gospel being preached to all people groups, Jesus seems now to be speaking of something quite specific. No more general references to wars and rumors of wars or of persecution and some people falling away from the faith. We all know that in the 2,000 years since Jesus said this, all of this has actually occurred. But there are still in our world today some people groups that have not had either a Bible in their language or a church among their people group. Now, I don't think it's possible to ascertain exactly how precisely Jesus' words are to be taken. Nor would I argue that we know at this present time where we are in the challenge of world proclamation. But we know for certain that this must be done and then the end will come. Now, having said that, Jesus now speaks of something that is less vague. He speaks about something called the abomination that causes desolation. Unless we be unclear as to what he's been referring to, he clarifies it for his disciples. He said that it was the abomination that causes desolation that was spoken of by the prophet Daniel. And Matthew, who's recording Jesus' words for us, breaks into the narrative with a little helpful note for anyone who's reading his gospel. You'll see it there right at the end of verse 15 and our translators in order to help us put Matthew's words in brackets. Let the reader understand. So Matthew's telling us, those of us who even read this many years later, that please, dear reader, don't pass over this matter too quickly. Let the reader understand. Let the reader do the study that's necessary so that they can accurately identify what Jesus was talking about. since Matthew, who wrote this text for us, is, is pleading with us to understand what Daniel spoke about, let's do what he asks, shall we? So, the expression, the abomination that causes desolation, is found four times in the book of Daniel. And of those four references, I think the clearest of the four is found in Daniel 11, verse 31. And it says, "...forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering..." And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Now, obviously, as I've read that, it should be apparent that, that I've picked up a sentence in the middle of an extended teaching. So Daniel 11, it's an extensive chapter in the book of Daniel. Well, it describes events as they will occur to the Greek empire and how that will in the future impact the people of Israel. Daniel has been shown what will happen in days to come. The Babylonian Empire will fall to the Medo-Persian Empire, and then the Medo-Persian Empire will fall to the Greeks, and the Greek king will die early, and that was a, a future reference to Alexander the Great. Following Alexander, his empire would, according to Daniel, be divided into four distinct districts, each with their own king. And that's where the drama of chapter 11 begins. There will be, says Daniel, a king of the south and a king of the north. Well, we now know from history that it must refer to the kings, while the south being the Egyptian part of the Greek empire under the leadership of the Ptolemies. Cleopatra was the last of that line. And in the north represents the Syrian part of that empire under the leadership of the Seleucids. Now, as one reads through Daniel chapter 11, it becomes quite clear that the very cruel king is the one from the north. And from history, we know this man. His name was Antiochus. Forces from him, from Antiochus, will appear, says Daniel, and they will profane the temple and the fortress. Well, the events Daniel predicted in the 500s BC, they were actually fulfilled in the year 167 BC. Antiochus, in order to destroy Judaism, decided to desecrate the Jewish temple. He erected an altar of Zeus over the altar of burnt offering, and then he sacrificed a pig on top of it. He made it illegal to practice Judaism. It was punishable by death. He made it illegal for Jews to circumcise their baby boys. He made it illegal to celebrate the Sabbath. He attempted to confiscate every copy of the Jewish Bible, the First Testament, and burn it. Had he succeeded, he would have ended all memory of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, and with that, the hope of the Messiah. What Antiochus will do in Jerusalem, said Daniel, will be an abomination that causes desolation. Or in other words, an abomination or an outrage that's so great, the results are desolation. And that's the part that Matthew wants us to understand. Don't just hear the words of Jesus says Matthew. Understand them. Okay, we have the background, so let's continue. Jesus is speaking to his disciples on that Tuesday before he was crucified. The disciples want to know what will be the time of the end of the age, and Jesus said, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing in the holy place, when you see that, run and get out of there as fast as you can. So now 2,000 years later, what actually happened? What was Jesus referring to?
0: by the time you hear this, Christmas excitement has already begun to fill the air. Our Yuletide expectations are seeded by childhood memories, media hype, vendor advertising and church traditions. We forecast Christmas with such heightened hopes that can often disappoint Christmas morning. Well, This month, Dr. John shares a new Christmas series called The Hope of the Ages, presenting Jesus as a fulfillment of God's intent. Jesus, the fulfillment of our Christmas aspirations, the hope of the ages. It's a message that must be shared year round and your partnership makes that possible. Thanks for all you do. And please continue to stand with us as we strive toward our year end goal of $490,000 by December 31st. Just call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to make your gift today.
1: When we began today's study you might remember that i began by making reference to the jewish war i had said that this was a war in which jewish freedom fighters fought against the roman empire and this was a war that lasted from A.D. 66 to 73 and the outcome of that war was that israel as a nation was driven from the promised land, and didn't reclaim their land from that time until the year 1948. And that's quite a story in and of itself. But let's get back to AD 66 to 73. It's now been over 30 years since Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. The church of Jesus has begun. The good news of the gospel has been preached to the world. At that time, the Roman military might descended on Jerusalem, and great fighting, including a siege, was begun. The Roman military standards were an eagle over the statue of the emperor. The soldiers paid homage to that statue. Indeed, they were required to worship the emperor. That was a great heresy to the Jews who worshiped God alone. It was an outrage. It was an abomination. The Jewish historian, a man by the name of Josephus, recounted what actually happened. He speaks of savagery, of wanton slaughter of the Romans upon the citizens of Jerusalem, the famine in the city, before the Romans actually broke through the walls, well, that famine had become so severe that there were cases of mothers eating their own children. It was an abomination in every way. And when the Romans finally entered the city in the year AD 70, because of the barbarism and the savagery, well, the temple was lit on fire and it was burned. In order to retrieve any gold that might have gone missing in the fire, the Romans broke down the beautiful temple stone upon stone and dragged the stones away so it could not even be seen that a temple had once stood there. Now here, we do well to remember the words Jesus spoke back in verse 2. You see all these he says? He's referring to the beautiful stones of the temple. He said, Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And that prophecy was literally fulfilled in AD 70, 37 years after Jesus said it. Now, let's get back to today's text. In verse 15, Jesus says, when you see these events taking place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And according to Eusebius, he was a Christian historian. The Romans at the beginning of the siege allowed anyone who wanted to leave the city to go. And Christians at that time who were living in Jerusalem also remembered those words of Jesus and they actually fled the city at that time. And apparently they fled to some of the mountain caves that the Maccabeans had fled to at the time of Antiochus. It's really quite remarkable that that two events were so eerily similar. Jesus was telling his disciples that a second abomination that causes desolation was about to occur. And it did, just as Jesus had predicted it would. And furthermore, anyone who took Jesus' words seriously actually saved their own lives by doing what he told them to do. Notice when Jesus is telling of these events to come, he says, flee to the mountains. And in verse 17, the one on the housetop is not to go down and take what's in his house. And the one who's working outside of the city and he's working in a field, he says, don't go back into the city, run for your life. If the flight that was required, however, were to happen in the winter, obviously the conditions would be quite harsh. If the day of fleeing were to occur on the Sabbath, well, in that case, there would be only few people available to help you. That is to say, Jesus clearly expected that when the events he was speaking about happened, it would still be at a time when there were observable Sabbath laws in Jerusalem. Now then, we're not yet through. Notice the words in verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Now if we're careful, we're about to learn a great deal of what Jesus meant and what would be the signs of the end of the age. When the abomination that causes desolation happens the second time, there will be, says Jesus, a great tribulation. Now for those of us who are accustomed only to thinking about the great tribulation right at the end of the age, right before the coming of Jesus we might very quickly conclude that Jesus must have meant those last seven years before he returns during the reign of the Antichrist. But that's not necessarily the case. Tribulation, the Greek word, is the the word phlipsis. It means great suffering. And so to put the word great before the word tribulation must mean unprecedented suffering. Indeed, in order to describe it, Jesus said the suffering, the unprecedented suffering of the Jewish people in those days are going to be so great, no suffering had been so great since the beginning of the world or ever would be again. Now, those are quite the words. Josephus, who was an eyewitness to the destruction of Jerusalem, actually records some of the events that happened when the Romans broke into the city. He said, no exhortation or threat could now restrain the impetuosity of the legions, for passion was in supreme command. Crowded together around the entrances, many were trampled down by their companions, others, stumbling on the smoldering and smoke-filled ruins of the porticos, died as miserably as the defeated. As they drew closer to the temple, they pretended not even to hear Caesar's orders, but urged the men in front to throw in more firebrands. The rebels were powerless to help. Carnage and flight spread throughout. Most of the slain were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed, and they were butchered where they were caught. The heap of corpses mounted higher and higher about the altar. A stream of blood flowed down the temple steps, and the bodies of those slain at the top slipped to the bottom. Now, we might read of this wanton savagery and say, well, yeah, that sounds very bad, but Jesus didn't know about the Jewish Holocaust, which was surely worse than that. And of course, in terms of sheer numbers, that's the case. But D.A. Carson comments, Never so high a percentage of a great city's population has been so thoroughly and painfully exterminated and enslaved as during the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Now then, notice Jesus added, and never will be equaled again. That is to say, what happened there will be a singular moment in human history. And from our vantage point, that is from the vantage point of the Christian today, we might observe several things. Jesus warned about this, you know, in Matthew 23, 37 to 38. Remember what he said? "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together? As a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing, now notice these words, see your house is left to you desolate. Or we might think of Jesus' words to the woman of the well in Samaria. John four twenty-one. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And I like to point out to people who join me in the Israel experience that the Dome of the Rock is now on the Temple of the Mount, and it's closed the door to a worshiping temple in Jerusalem. Or we might think about the teaching of the book of Hebrews, that the one perfect sacrifice of Jesus has rendered the temple and its sacrifice of no use. God has taken the temple away. You remember that I said there are moments in history so overwhelming that they become lessons for all time. Such is the case of AD 70. After those events, the only sacrifice left was the one sacrifice of Jesus for all time. And although we must weep with our Jewish friends that so great a suffering was rained down upon them, we're also reminded that Jesus himself declared that these events would happen and how anyone who listened to his voice must run and save his or her life. But saying that doesn't take away from the awful memory of the greatest moment in the long story of the suffering of the Jewish people. Let us as Christian people always commit ourselves that when we think of the suffering of the Jews to declare, that it's our desire to seek to understand and declare ourselves as friends of Israel. But at this time, my dear Lister, might you ask yourself an important question. If it's the case that the events described in Matthew 24:15 to 21, are the events that happened in AD 70, what relevance does that have to the second coming of our Lord and the end of the age? Much in every way. When Jerusalem was destroyed, Jerusalem ceased to be the center of the Christian faith and the church was forced to be global and when sacrifices ceased we were forced to consider that one truth that the one sacrifice of jesus left the temple superfluous there was no more need for a temple but there's more if we were to ask what these events mean for the future well some bible scholars have argued that in the end of history well, there'll have to be another abomination that causes desolation that will be carried out by the Antichrist, and still others will say that's not the case. Well, we'll examine that as we go through the chapter. But if there's one thing that we take from this, it's this. When Jesus speaks about the future and the things that must yet take place, his word is always, at all times, to be trusted. And so when Jesus said, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man coming on the clouds in heaven and with great glory. We know that these things will indeed take place. Take hope. Our Lord's soon return will come.
0: Thanks for your message, John. Let me ask you, why is it or is it important that the significance of AD 70 be taught in the
1: church? Yeah, because... Um, It it really helps us make sense of some things. Now, I I think that the book of Hebrews was written prior to AD 70, but it does tell us that sacrifice and offerings have now been permanently put aside by God because one perfect sacrifice has now been offered and therefore the temple is no longer required. Um, You know, it, it also helps us make sense of what Jesus told the woman at the well. I mean, yes, you worship God on this mountain, that was Mount Gerizim. We worship God in Jerusalem. Salvation is of the Jews. But a time is coming when you'll worship God on neither of those mountains. It helps us to understand everything that Jesus taught us about how the temple and its sacrifices were coming to an end. Once he offered himself, a new time had come.
0: Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Best is Ahead, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. December is coming to a close, and once again, we've been so blessed and encouraged by so many across the country expressing their support for the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada by sending a year-end gift. We're privileged to be part of this Bible teaching and engagement ministry and blessed to share this mission with you. Our goal by December 31st is to raise 490000 dollars These funds provide a necessary solid foundation for ministry in 2022 and will ultimately contribute to the gospel being declared and lives changed. Thank you for the role you play in making this possible. To support in the year-end campaign, please call us at one 800 or contribute online at backtothebible.ca by December 31st. Our sincere
1: gratitude in advance.